the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 340 and 341. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree at the Show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two big Tuesday editions of the show today. I'm Ro, Noah's here. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. The host of Battleground Live, Sean Parnell, will be joining us. We'll also be sitting down with Clout Diablo. Vish Burrow will be back on the program. Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs will be reporting live from in-district and down on the U.S. southern border. And we'll be sitting down with former Assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeffrey Clark. Lots of breaking news, including Donald Trump, who had a huge weekend, big win in South Carolina primary over the weekend, in addition to headlining CPAC. There's going to be dueling visits down on the U.S. southern border this Thursday as Joe Biden heads to Brownville, while Donald Trump will be in Eagles Pass. And then we'll take a glance over the rest of the big headlines, including the impending government shutdown, which could happen as soon as as later this week. But before we get into any of our interviews, let's jump right into these headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak of Records podcast. I'm Ron Noah's here. Yo. If you're a first time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long time listener, welcome back to America's fastest growing quickly becoming favorite political podcast. We've got a lot of news breaking over the course of the weekend. It was a busy news weekend. Donald Trump headlined CPAC after he picked up a victory in the South Carolina primary. We've got dueling border visits on the schedule this week with Joe Biden actually going down there and, and Donald Trump already scheduled to be in Eagle Pass. And, and then we're potentially looking at a government shutdown, something that we're going to break down a little bit today in the show as well. Great slate of guests coming in here. The host of Battleground Live, Sean Parnell, will be joining us. Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs, who's done a lot of great work out in his district and down on the U.S. southern border over the course of the last week, will be here. Former Assistant U.S. Attorney General Jeff Clark will be joining us, and we'll catch up with Clout Diablo himself, Vish Burra. See how many apparatuses he can drop throughout the course of his interview segment as well. Today's actually the first of two parts of the Republican apparatus set up in the presidential primary system in Michigan. I know there was a lot of people on social media talking about, is Donald Trump skipping Michigan? He hasn't been doing a lot of events there, even though he did a speaking event out there last week. And the way that it's set up right now is that today, Tuesday, February 27th, they're having the Michigan presidential primary. So the way it looks in Michigan right now, it's kind of what down the road is going to look like in Nevada. And today they're having the presidential primary. There are 16 Republican delegates up for grabs. However, on March 2nd, Michigan, Montana, and Idaho will have presidential caucuses or primaries. And in that instance, Michigan has 39 Republican delegates up for grabs. So how Nevada did it this year, where their caucus had no delegates for uh, for grabs and their presidential primary is where it was weighted, it's kind of what it looks like if we continue down this path where it could be split eventually moving towards one of the systems. I don't really know what's going on in Michigan right now, which one they uh, want to stick with more. I like the primary system instead of the caucus, but that's the way it's set up this cycle. So Donald Trump's looking to get 16 delegates in the state of Michigan for their presidential primary, which is being held today. 
Um, we're also uh, looking at the potentiality of a government shutdown. And there was a meeting of the big four today. Again? Yeah, up at the White House. Biden, Speaker Johnson, Chuck Schumer, who's fresh off of his return trip from Kiev, Ukraine. Trying mm-hmm. to get that supplemental aid package passed. And Hakeem Jeffries, but uh, do yourself a favor. Lower your expectations into what you think is going to happen during this meeting, and we'll get to that in just a bit. We are going to start off with Donald Trump's victory in South Carolina as he absolutely lambasted. I believe they called it uh, schlonged, Nikki Haley, (laughs) in the Republican primary in South Carolina over the course of the weekend, and it was a whirlwind trip of events. Donald Trump held a rally the day before the primary. He also held a rally the day of the primary. He also spoke at the Black Federation Gala, where he was the keynote speaker, made it to CPAC, and then traveled back to South Carolina for his victory speech, all within about 24 hours. So if we're talking about age and mental capacity, physical ability, and things of that nature, it seems to just about affect everyone aside from Donald Trump, as he is like the Energizer Bunny when it comes to his travel and how much FaceTime he's giving the American public right now. Let's pick it up on the heels of the victory, which was declared eight seconds after the last poll closed in South Carolina. Let's hear Donald Trump as he takes the stage. Next to you and defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God Thank you very much. Wow. That is really something. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was an even bigger win than we anticipated. And I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So. That's pretty good. So it's a record times two, and there's something going on in the country. Some really great things are going on. You look outside and you see all of the horror. You see millions and millions of people coming across the border illegally. We don't know where they come from. They come from jails. They come from prisons. They come from all sorts of places that we don't want to know. They come from mental institutions and insane asylums. And we don't want that in our country. We're not going to stand for it. We're not going to stand for it. You have terrorists coming in. You have people coming in that we just can't, uh, we can't do this. No country could, could sustain what's happening to the United States of America. No country. So we're going to straighten things out. The border is the worst it's ever been. You know, in 2016, we won and we had a bad border. And I talked about the border a lot, talked about it a lot. And uh, I said, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. We fixed it very quickly. And in 2020, we couldn't talk about it, although we did get millions of more votes a second time. But now there's a spirit that I have never seen. We ran two great races, but there's never been ever. There's never been a spirit like this. And I just want to say that I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Never been like this. And, you know, when when you hear President Trump talk about that, he gained, I believe, 44 out of 50 available delegates. The only place Nikki Haley was able to pick up any of the delegates were in the heavily 
Democrat populated as this was another open primary in places like Charleston and the Columbia areas of South Carolina. Democrats were allowed to vote in this Republican primary. You'll see a lot of the same on Super Tuesday where I believe 16 out of 21 primaries that are being held on that day are open primaries. And that means your, your voter affiliation and party affiliation does not count or matter when you go to the ballot box. You can go in as a, a voter. And, and if you know that Joe Biden's running pretty much unchallenged and is going to win the Democrat nomination or caucus in that state, you can just go in as a Democrat and vote for somebody other than Donald Trump and affect his numbers, which when you look at it on paper, I mean, Donald Trump won by a 60 to 39 percent margin, uh, 150 vote margin in overall of this compared to Nikki Haley. And, you know, when you look at the difference between Donald Trump's runs in 2016, remember there was no primary held in South Carolina in 2020 because he was the incumbent and running unopposed. But uh, you just go back and look at some of these numbers. So Donald Trump was able to, to get 239,000 votes back in 2016, and he got 451,000 votes in 2024. So a, a large number of people more voted for the non-established candidate where you had a split between Marco Rubio at 165,000, Ted Cruz at 164,000, and Jeb Bush is the next relevant contender at 57,000, equal, you know, close to 50% of the vote total back in 2016, where Nikki Haley this time, she was able to get 40, and it looked like Less than the amount of people who voted for the establishment candidates in 2016 came out and voted for her. So that's where you get those Democrat numbers from for 2024. No, it was a big win, another historic win. A non-incumbent has never gone 5-0 in, in the start of the primary season. We're going to be picking up some more delegates in Michigan today. What do you say to the job? I mean, I kind of gave you the itinerary that Donald Trump followed over the course of the 24 hours leading up to and through the South Carolina primary, but... This man just doesn't stop, and, and when he talks about the rest of the party beginning to coalesce behind him, uh, there's, there's a lot of factuality that goes into that statement. I don't know how the rest of the party couldn't coalesce behind him. It just seems like, why would you even contemplate going with some of these other assholes? It's, it's suicide. There's only one person that can do the job. Four years, not worrying about being reelected, just take care of business. That's it. Game over. And that's You're what fired. Oh, well, don't don't spoil it. We're going to get to that in a minute. He, he dusted that one off at the end of the uh, the acceptance speech for the South Carolina primary win. But, you know, when when you talk about the, the other news networks, I mean, even parts of the panels that they had on Fox News weren't too enthusiastic about this. They try to take shots at the fact that the only reason Donald Trump is five and zero is because he's five and zero, which doesn't make sense. The only reason that he's had more Republican voters come out and vote for him in all five of the primaries or caucuses leading up to this date today is we're heading into Michigan's Republican primary are at historic numbers. And you shouldn't have to focus so much on the people who are voting for someone else at the moment or when there's a lot of Democrats voting in the primaries as an attempt to kind of slow Donald Trump's momentum because, number one, they don't count on game day, period. And number two... I would say probably at least two-thirds of the people who voted for someone other than Donald Trump in any of these primaries or caucuses up to this point will be voting for him on Election Day. I don't feel like after the historic numbers that we saw in 2020, over 75 million people who came out and voted for Donald Trump, people were just going to stay home because his name's on the ballot. I don't buy that at all. Noah, do you, do you partake in that? Well, the people just aren't going to show up? Because it's Donald Trump? Well, I mean, there are some stupid people out there that are missing what's going on in the country today. 
that you can't help but see now. I mean, it's it's almost impossible for you to be your fucking you know ostrich with your head in the sand at this point because it's affecting you every time you go to the store, every time you put gas in your car, every time you get robbed by a band of roving migrants, <laughs> which is a thing now. I mean, we yeah. saw we saw that tragedy. And it's gonna get worse. The tragedy that happened down in Georgia last week. We'll touch on that a little bit later, I believe, in our second edition of the show today. And then, you know, I even saw on the news, it was on the reality show, but it made it out into the mainstream media. Even like CBS World News Tonight covered the fact that Sylvester Stallone is packing it up and moving out of California. You know, he takes care of his two adult daughters and he's got a family there. And between the taxes and the rising cost due to inflation and the amount of crime that's picked up and it's the fact that it doesn't necessarily avoid the elites anymore. He's decided to pick up his entire, you know, he lives in a huge estate over there in uh, Malibu and he's moving to Florida. Those water bills probably ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What was ridiculous was a lot of the commentary coming from the other side of the aisle during the fallout from the Republican primary. Namely, I saw Noah's favorite flat top wearing commentator. She wasn't the bad guy in the first Ghostbusters, although she could be the stunt double for them. Randy Maddow on MSNBC. Let's hear her, him, she, sure. Yes. I mean, there's all the weirdness of it. He did have to read his, the names of his, <laughs> his immediate family's family name, members yeah. mm-hmm. off of a, off of a, off of a card. He did get them all um, right. And it's, Yes, it's true. Um, there's that. There's the, you know, saying that the auto workers are with him when, as you mentioned, the auto workers just endorsed um, Joe oh. Biden. But in terms oh. of, I mean, what else do you look for in, in a speech like that? He didn't go on the offensive against Haley. He talked about the Republican Party being unified. That is a normal thing to say. He then even tried to credit what he described as the people standing behind me, who he described as national officials, state officials. They're state officials, but they're really national. They're the most important state officials in the country, the state, it's the country. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Um, so there's a, there's a, 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 it's not even stylistic. There's a, there's a general incoherence, um, Uncle, Uncle Ramble standards um, mm-hmm. thing going on with him that doesn't get a lot of attention because the mainstream press, particularly the print press, has much more enjoyed talking about Joe Biden uh, and the signs of his age. But Trump is rambling and incoherent even when he is at his best and even when it's early in the evening and tonight even just getting that slice of it is a real reminder of that which again is nikki haley's main message right nikki haley's mainly arguing both trump and biden are unfit you should pick me instead republicans don't want to pick her instead but the manifest unfitness of donald trump for the basics of campaigning are on display every time he gets behind a microphone imagine that what? Imagine their pre-productive meeting. We're going to talk about Donald Trump's mental decline as part of our narrative to, you know, kind of uh, disenfranchise the the big win that he had in in South Carolina. <laughs> That's retarded. The guy. <laughs> I mean, the guy is more competent in public speaking than I am. Yeah, than a lot of people are. And when you talk about the amount of people that you have to thank after a uh, big win in a state like South Carolina. And there was a part during his reception speech where he talked about some of the state legislators there, you know, and, and their importance at the state level and how it's weighed nationally. Now, when you're talking about a presidential election in the general election context, how your elections run in the state determines on how the candidate does nationally when you're running the election there and you win the state and you get the electoral votes to become the president. 
So by saying that these people at the state level have a national impact is not an inaccurate statement. It's like in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania, where the secretaries of state or the attorney generals of the state circumvented their state constitutions and changed the election laws in the 2020 presidential election cycle. Those state legislators had a national impact on who won the presidency. Mm -hmm. And it's like he's operating at a level so much higher than these people when he's rattling off some of these statistics that they just call it ramblings and like, I don't get it. To continue to go back and harp on things like the economy and geopolitics and the border throughout, you know, his 90 minute speaking events, it's not rambling. It's hitting on the major issues that he wants to drive home with the American public. Maybe people weren't there at the beginning of the speaking event. Maybe these are heavily televised events and his campaign staff has these items interwoven into the beginning, middle and end of his speeches so that people who are joining or leaving or coming back to these don't miss them. It's like these are all things that are basic strategy when it comes to running a campaign at any level. This is the highest campaign level in the world right now, the president of the United States. The fact of the matter is people like Rachel Maddow and Joy Reid just can't keep up with them. And you see it in their frustration levels of these fake narratives that they have to invent to try and, you know, not lend credit to the job that Donald Trump's done so far. Well, and there are people that are going to believe it, too, because they're so turned off by the orange bad man that they can't even watch him on the news. You know, they can't watch a speech. How and if you're thinking about going out and voting, I think you need to be as aware of what's going on as, as humanly possible. You should know both sides of what's going on. You should be doing research. You shouldn't be just going and checking off the boxes for your team. Because some people aren't really on your team. No. Okay, they are. Yeah, and that's that's definitely a great point to point out, Noah. You know, Nikki Haley uh, spoke before Donald Trump during the last primary and kind of beat him to the punch in the national media. Donald Trump was out within 15 minutes of the election results to make sure that wasn't going to happen again. In addition, he didn't even mention her during his uh, win acceptance speech in South Carolina in Nikki Haley's home state where she was governor and reelected to a second term before leaving halfway through to become the UN ambassador in the Trump administration. She rolled out about 30 minutes late, 90 minutes after the results came out, and it was just as dry and obscene and off the rails as you might expect. Let's hear the former governor try to make sense of her huge South Carolina Election Day defeat. I don't believe Donald Trump can beat Joe Biden. There are huge numbers of voters in our Republican primaries who are saying they want an alternative. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. I'm a woman of my word. You're a nasty person. She certainly is. Did you hear about the pullout, Noah? In the back of an SUV? Close. They're called the Koch brothers, but we call them the Koch brothers here. They've pulled Mm -hmm. out of funding Nikki Haley's campaign after her embarrassing defeat in South Carolina. Got them. They had originally been behind Meatball, but couldn't, you know, stand to just throw money into the abyss that is Nikki Haley's, whatever the hell it is she's doing right now. Well, you know what they say, third time's a charm. Maybe they'll put their money where the mouth of the American people are. Did you say money shot? Mm. (laughs) Hmm. You know, and it's not just 
the Koch brothers who are seeing what's going on here with Nikki Haley and the fact that she is, you know, the establishment's play toy right now and what she's doing trying to harm Donald Trump. So Gavin Newsom jumped on fake news CNN with crybaby Jake Tapper this weekend to kind of talk about that narrative. And while CNN did the best job that they could to try and hype up Gavin Newsom as a plausible alternative, possibly to Joe Biden, if not in this election cycle, then obviously the next one. He talked about the importance of having somebody like Nikki Haley remain in the Republican primaries. And it's not a surprise what he said. Let's hear it. Joe Biden to win. Do you think that Haley or Trump would be easier to beat for him? Well, first of all, I think she's one of our better surrogates. So I hope she stays in. I hope she does well tomorrow. All the nasty stuff she well says enough. about Trump. Uh, she's spot on uh, on 99% of it. So I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this primary and I hope it continues. So I wish her luck. Uh, but look, Trump's the nominee. We all know that. You know that. Everybody out there knows that. And I think the polls are suggestive. She's going to get walloped tomorrow. Uh, and then she'll make a case, I guess, uh, just to continue in this. But again, I, I have no problem her continuing for as long as she wishes, because I think she's making a good case against Trump. Head to head polls suggest that she would clean Biden's clock. Yeah. Uh, oh. And it's a tougher race. Uh, uh, Trump's, Trump's the nominee. Everybody knows Trump's the nominee. So it does, not you're a, not, so there's you, not a state that, with respect, there's no evidence to suggest, there's no polling to suggest, there's nothing to suggest, momentum or otherwise, that she can win any state. You want. <laughs> It's wow. Fun. Listen, we just listened to a couple clips of from Nikki Haley. Some shitting on you? Yeah. Wow. And then you're just, you know, they're saying the complete opposite of what Jake Tapper was trying to to push on Gavin Newsom there. And he's like, come on. He's like, I'm going to say a lot of things. It's cool that Nikki Haley's in the race, making Donald Trump waste that money. Once he becomes the, you know, the, the shareholder of the most delegates crossing the threshold to essentially become the Republican nominee, that he can't have access to those general election funds because she's going to remain in the race. All that stuff's great. But don't go out and tell me that Donald Trump's not the clear leader of the party and that he's not the Republican nominee because not even Gavin Newsom believes that line of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a large helping of horseshit if you're going to try to eat that. Yeah, and, and and we'll look at those numbers coming after Super Tuesday on March 12th. There's going to be another round of primaries, and Donald Trump should, if all numbers continue to hold, cross the threshold. That'll be 1,223 delegates he'll have at the end of the night on March 12th, which will allow him to become the Republican nominee in delegate form only. So looking ahead to those dates, it's going to be interesting to see how Nikki Haley responds or doesn't and wants to do, uh, you know, exactly what we think that she's going to continue to try and do. And that's just stymie Donald Trump in the wallet, uh, make the news media continue to bring. I mean, everywhere she goes on, at least in conservative politics right now, and they're like, can you tell us a state you can win? Why are you in this race? And she's like, the American people want a choice. The American people don't want Joe Biden and Donald Trump on the top of the ticket again. And those are her only talking points. She brings nothing to the table. Every single yeah, one what of you her- have to back that up because <laughs> it's polling is not showing that that's a real thing. Zero policy platform. There isn't anything that she can present that isn't an exact carbon copy of Trump era policies when it comes to rebuilding the economy, lowering inflation, closing the border, reducing crime, and peace through strength. And I think that was the biggest selling point for Donald Trump running as a non-incumbent incumbent, that it didn't matter who might have been younger, more vibrant, maybe tried to land messaging better in this Republican primary. None of them were going to be able to beat him in the policy department, and he has the results to back it up. So I just think that, uh, you know, it's a conundrum right now that we're dealing with. And uh, Nikki Haley is definitely 
painted herself into a corner, as I did see a lot of people on both the right and the left over the course of the last couple of days fall out from the results of the South Carolina primary saying, now like Ron DeSantis in most cases, she's just hurting herself for 2028 if she wants to run for president again. I mean, if she's in this race just as a complete op and she has no intention to really run for president and they, they assured her like, there's no way you can win outside of jail or death for Donald Trump. So don't worry about it. Just stay in the race. We'll make you a shit ton of money. You could write another book. You'll have a TV show. But the fact of the matter is, is if that she has any want or need to be included in the 2028 presidential primary, especially with Donald Trump coming out, probably is the kingmaker of the, you know, next holder of the mantle of MAGA. She's done. She's done. So for as nasty as these primaries people say get, and for the fact that sometimes even in the nastiest of them, the candidates will come and, and circle back to support the person who's going to be the nominee. I just, I mean, he went from calling her bird brain to brain dead now. Oof. And, you know, it, it, it seems to be the case. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, we prefer Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the Steak for Breakfast show. Make sure you hit that plus follow button or subscribe. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic devices. In addition, find us on social media. Twitter, get our true social and Instagram is where our accounts are. Find them, follow them. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything great going on here on the show, including our extensive and incredible bi-weekly quad showly guest list. We're going to be sitting down with former combat veteran, congressional candidate, New York Times best-selling author, and host of the Battleground podcast, Sean Parnell, in just a bit. I saw CNN had quite the meltdown following Donald Trump's win in South Carolina. They, uh, it was like they all were just talking into the mirrors and uh, hitting Donald Trump on everything from not mentioning Nikki Haley, which apparently triggered them, to speaking before her, which is what you would expect the winner to do, to essentially rolling out South Carolina Senator Tim Scott like a slave, which I'm not even joking about. It was absolutely crazy to watch these people come to terms with reality. Let's hear part of it. Uh, victory speech, overwhelming uh, results in, uh, in South Carolina. Um, we uh, called it right at the top of the hour as soon as the polls closed. Back to the team here. Uh, they got to lower the speech volume. Um, listen, you've heard a lot of Trump speeches. Yeah, I mean, RIP the Reagan GOP. There's something so jarring about watching Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott all of who condemned him after January 6th, lining oh. up to do their best campaign rally impersonation oh. and saying this is the most qualified yeah, I mean, man uh, to be president. The night of January 6th, Lindsey Graham was saying he was, you know, I'm done with him. Enough. 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 Yeah, um, I mean, listen, it is the greatest political comeback in history. Just three years ago, he was done in the party, and it only took a matter of months before he came back and handily won in Nikki Haley's home state. The question sure now did. becomes this. She's held on. We'll see where the margins break down tonight to about just under a third of Republican votes in some of these primaries. How many of those votes will go to Donald Trump? Because he will need those in a general election. Some of those are never going to be with him. But how many is the open question now? Uh, okay. I mean, for, for me, you know, uh, Tim Scott is obviously uh, auditioning uh, to be vice president. Uh, and every time he, uh, Trump just richly humiliates him. Talks about him having low energy, makes fun of his campaign. And then Tim Scott gets out there and he tries to, to do something that's really not natural to him. And then he walks off. But, uh, you know, we were talking about before, this is kind of the, the pathway that Pence got on. And so you might not just be watching the resurrection of a Tim Scott, but you might also be watching the, 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 the rise of, a, of, the resurrection of, of Trump, the rise of Tim Scott. I cannot think of a Republican 
that I want to be vice president more than Tim Scott. Sure. Oh. We love Tim Scott. Oh. All Republicans of all stripes love Tim Scott. And I agree with what Donald Trump said. I think he's a good man. Yes. I think, and, and I think he's a humble man. And I, and I want him to do whatever he has to do. <laughs> to get this job, I really do because I think I you're can't in think love. Of, I'd yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's willing. You should feel good. Your will be granted. You all are down on on what is going on here, but politics has become performative, and he is doing what he has to do. And if he is on this ticket, Republicans are going to love it. They're going to love it. it. So I'm glad to see him going on. Tim Scott, it. Tim. What do you think about that, Noah? Listen, we don't mm-hmm. like. Making fun of Tim Scott, I mean, they, they essentially, for, for the stuff that he was able to do, you know, and, and if you go back and look at Tim Scott's whole story, where he is right now, which is essentially a, a senior surrogate and a United States senator following around the presumptive nominee and someone who is essentially more than likely going to be the next president of the United States, you can't take away from the overall resume of Tim Scott. Listen, we don't like everything that he said. We don't like some of the policies during Donald Trump's first administration that he pushed back on. But there were a lot that they were able to agree on, and I think they worked very well together. Uh, I still don't think he's vice presidential material, although I do think he is going through the national audition. And and here's the only reason why. Donald Trump is a numbers-driven guy. You want to talk about his background in the business entities. You want to talk about his background in television and marketing, building the brand. Tim Scott did not resonate with a national-level Voter base. I mean, he never got really higher once this thing got into everybody's declared more than 8% nationally. I think there's a large component of that and what Tim Scott brings to the ticket, who he could add on outside of Democrats and independents, is what he really offers that some of the other candidates don't. Do you agree with that, Noah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, I do like some of the stuff Tim Scott says, but not everything's a fucking slam dunk. And I, and I really don't think that Donald Trump makes it like his candidacy sucked and that he was low energy and he likes the way he's picked it up on the campaign trail, even though you could make a case for that. I mean, listen, he brought Lindsey Graham up during that victory speech in South Carolina, and Donald Trump was really like, no, 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 come on, come on, come on. And they were like, no, fuck him, boo. And then Lindsey Graham came up, and, you know, he's only like 5'8". So he has to pull the microphone all the way down and his head's barely over the podium. And he comes up like the little pig face guy that he is. The real life Mr. Garrison. He's all like, <laughs> you guys ready for Donald Trump to win? And, and you ready to make the board scare? And, 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 and you all ready to, to make America great again? And everybody's like, boo. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I'm done. And then he gives the microphone back. And Donald Trump's like, wow, this audience right now, it's like first you're boo. And now you're yay. He's like. I should tell Lindsey Graham he's only allowed to talk about this stuff when he comes up here and gets the microphone from you guys. Mm-hmm. And everybody started laughing. But I think it's different with Tim Scott because Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham's relationship is a little bit different in the fact that we all know he's a warmonger. We all know he wants the forever wars. He's been to Afghanistan and Iraq, meaning with all these groups assuring them that the money and the machinery will never stop. I think one of the biggest things that Donald Trump did to work alongside Lindsey Graham was say, we're going to do a lot less of the war and we're going to do a lot more to fund the military. In addition, instead of blowing everything up, let's sell defense contracts to our allies. And then you could even get more money than you are if you're just feeding the forever war machine. And Congress pushes back on that a whole lot less than they do when all you're trying to do is pass supplemental aid package after supplemental aid package like Joe Biden's trying to do with Ukraine. So I think it was kind of a weird way that they came together, but I think the relationship thrived because of it. So 
it, it, it was pretty awesome to see. And then, you know, as we're getting ready to wrap here and jump in with Sean Parnell, I've got one more clip, and, and Noah alluded to it at the top of our segment. And it's about Donald Trump telling Joe Biden exactly what he plans to do with him after November 5th. Let's hear it. We're going to be up here on November 5th, and we're going to look at Joe Biden, and we're going to look him right in the eye. He's destroying our country, and we're going to say, Joe, you're fired. Get out. Get out, Joe. You're fired. Uh, they're destroying our country, and we're going to, I just wish we could do it quicker. Nine months is a long time. And that's the only thing that, uh, I guess, the crappy part about going through this process is that it is one, and we're all in a part of it right now. So we're just going to continue to ride through this primary season as we get ready to uh, declare Donald Trump the likely nominee after March 12th. We also had some great news from the RNC over the weekend. Following the South Carolina primary, Ronna McDaniel officially stepped down, which means she will no longer be heading the largest GOP organization in political politics. And we're waiting to see if Michael Watley, Laura Trump, and Chris LaCivita is going to be the new delegation to run that. We'll talk on that a little bit more in our second episode today. We're going to be looking into Donald Trump's CPAC headlining speech on the other side of Sean Parnell. We're getting ready to jump in right now with him. But before we do, let's check in with one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty-grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborn researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High-quality coffee from high-quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.com. Coffee. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a retired combat veteran, New York Times bestselling author, and host of Battleground Live, one of our great friends, Mr. Sean Parnell. Welcome back to the show. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Oh, always a pleasure on our end, sir. How's everything going with you? What's news and what's exciting? Yeah, so I, I, everything's going great. You know, we were just talking before we went live. A daily show is is a grind, and staying on top of the news cycle, especially as fast as it changes, is is also a grind. It's it's kind of amazing how how fast things move in this country. I mean, ten years ago, I feel like the news cycle was fast, but it's nothing compared to what it is today. So, you know, I just jumped on board um, with iHeart Podcasts, and they've got me stuck in in Rush Limbaugh's. Uh, old RSS feed. It's I'm not on the radio or anything like that, but it's it's on the iHeartRadio app, which is cool. Um, and Clay and Buck Sexton fill the Rush Limbaugh time slot over there on on radio, but I'm on Rush's feed and their feed now, which is kind of cool. So you know, bringing an America First message to that audience, I'm kind of excited about it. Now you know, I think that's a really important point. And first of all, congratulations on that. Lots of hard work that you guys have poured into that show and. It's one of my favorite to listen to, but when you talk about the America First voice and and the reach that we sometimes don't have, uh, getting to put yourself on a platform that big and and getting the message out there to the people. I mean, listen, Sean, you talk about everything from the scam, which is the, the climate change mafia, all the way down to things that were, you know, horribly wrong during the pandemic, all the way up to what happened in recent elections. We don't normally get to amplify our voices that loud. And then here you are right in the mix of things now. You know, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, one of the things before I signed on with them that I I, I had to know that I was going to be able to talk about what I wanted. And and that was just it was just that simple. 
And this idea that we're not allowed to talk about certain things in, in the year of 2024 scares me a little bit. Not a lot scares me, but this does. You know, because the Constitution, the First Amendment, our ability to speak freely is always what's made this country exceptional. And over the last couple of years, especially since 2020 and COVID, what's not, I mean, the media tries to gaslight you and 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 fear monger and, and attack you and label you a conspiracy theorist if you talk about certain things, namely the 2020 election and the idea that even some Republicans will be like, well, we've got to move on from 2020. Okay, fine. Yes, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can talk about the future and how America first policies will put us in a much better place than we are right now. But if you don't look at history and if you don't study history to figure out what went wrong and what went right, then you're just doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again, Ron. And I just think like the 2020 election, I lived it. I saw I saw what they did with my own two eyes. And for four years now, I've had the media trying to to label me a conspiracy theorist or gaslight me into believe into believing that everything was legitimate and it wasn't. And, and if we let them get away with it, if we let them just continue on business as usual, nothing will get better. And so I speak out about that stuff and I don't really care what other people think about me. And, 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 you know, we focus on the facts and the data and, and, and things like that. And hopefully that resonates with people. Just give them an additional perspective to think about. Not only is it an additional perspective, like you already had mentioned, it's, one that you lived through and, and saw on the ground with your own eyes. And if you now having the ability to bring that to the American people in the form of, you know, your daily show, I just think it's awesome, Sean. And, and again, congratulations for you getting linked up there. And uh, we look forward to see your continued success as far as growing your podcast brand and, and the voice of the American people go. Well, thank you. I mean, that's what it's all about, Ron, is just given. I mean, there are 75 million Americans plus 75 million plus Americans that believe in this message and we can't let them languish or make them feel like they don't have a voice. You know, Rush Limbaugh, I mean, there's everyone, everyone talks about Rush and, you know, my dad listened to him when I was a kid. He used to drive me around to baseball practices and to school with him on the radio. And back then I didn't really understand, but you know, Rush really was America first. He was, and especially a if you listen to some of his final episodes and the way that he talks and speaks about President Trump, Rush Limbaugh saw President Trump coming long before many others did. And it's just the truth. And he, there's a reason why he was the biggest, most successful radio host in the history of this country. And I think it's because he gave all those people who didn't feel like they have a voice, a voice. Yeah, that's the truth there. And, you know, I, it used to be the same. I think my dad was like, Rush, Imus, and Michael Savage were like the part of his <laughs> big three repertoire growing up in the Northeast. I mean, we're pretty much from the same area. And, and when, yeah. you, when you see the, it's almost like the time capsule that Rush Limbaugh left for the America First movement. The guy was almost, you know, prophet-like in, in what he saw coming and, and how he saw it coming. And, you know, even just to, though we're a few years departed from when he passed away, a lot of this stuff has just absolutely come to fruition. It's true. And, and really, that's what I try to do with the show is not just like react to the news. And sometimes you have to do that because the Democrats are just so intergalactic level stupid. And sure. I mean that like we're they're not sending their best. They're complete morons. Um, I don't know what makes if what's worse, them being morons or Republicans unwillingness to fight back against morons. Right. right? You know, Trump, Trump, of course, is way different than that. 
Um, but I, he, yeah, he's a, he's an amazing guy and it's just, you know, every, I, I, we try to stay ahead of the curve. We try to look at what's happening given that I know I, I've seen how the Democrats fight. I know what they do behind the scenes. I know how shameless they are. And I just try to give the people a sense of what's coming down the pike, what they can expect. For example, you know, a month ago, I'm like, you watch these shameless hack Democrats are going to campaign on border security that you just, they're just going to do it. And sure enough, they, they passed this uh, terrible abomination of a Lankford immigration bill out of the Senate. And, and it's in the House of Representatives. And the Democrats wasted no time going out there and saying, oh, MAGA extremists in the House of Representatives, you know, Stalin, they don't want to secure the border. They just they just want to thwart our plans. But the reality is it's not a border bill. It's an open borders bill. And we should reject it. But but that was the, what the Democrats used, Drone, to 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 flip the script on Republicans and campaign on border security in Lankford, useful idiots like him. You know, I, look, I'm sorry. I, I just I, I I don't like Republican infighting, but I also don't, don't like when Republicans stab us in the back. Right. And he gave Biden and the rest of these hack Democrats the talking point of a bipartisan border bill that these MAGA extremists rep, uh, rejected. It's absolutely ridiculous. And here's another thing, Ronan. This is the last I'll say about it. I, I'm sorry. I'm kind of going on a rant here. But the House of Representatives in May of last year passed a bill called H.R. 2 called the Border Security Act. Most people probably haven't even heard of it. It has languished in the Senate and collected dust for eight months. Why hasn't our party for eight months been out there saying Democrats don't care about border security? If they cared about border security, they'd pass this bill. Every Democrat in the House of Representatives voted against it, and Schumer has tabled it. So, you know, you talk about missed opportunities for our party to fight back. That's a clear example of one. And most people have never even heard of the bill. You know, to see uh, what Mike Johnson has kind of done, he's pulled like a little bit of an Uno reverse card on Chuck Schumer in the Senate. And that has to do with the foreign supplemental aid package, especially the money Joe Biden wants with, you know, and for Ukraine, it, it seems like that he's been able to take the same method in, in shelving that and allowing it to collect dust as Chuck Schumer has with things like HR one and HR two in the Senate. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a genius move, but at the end of the day, it's not getting anything done or, or solved when it comes to border security or how we're going to address sending out foreign aid in the future. So it's going to be interesting to see as we're running up on the, on the end of the CR here very shortly, first step of the two, uh, you know, laddered one. And, and we're just going to have to see what Mike Johnson's plan is. I know he met directly with President Trump last week. I know mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, uh, committee chairs are, are back up in Washington, D.C., ahead of their congressional breaks in district. And it's going to be interesting to see how they're tackling this moving forward. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think I, I've said many times, and I think I've said on this program, Roan, that as a Republican and knowing many of the members of Congress in the House of Representatives on a personal level like I do, and I mean, some of them, I I, I don't mean to paint with broad strokes here. There are a lot of great America first conservatives in the House of Representatives, and I'm not talking about them. I'm really talking about the GOP establishment. And Mike Johnson is is conservative. I think he was he was a great selection for Speaker of the House, you know, even even though it was kind of a, a little bit of a disaster getting there. We got somebody that was great. And that's at the end of the day. Right. That's all that matters. But what I say about about our party is specifically at this moment in time is that I would not want to be the Speaker of the House 
if I were in the House of Representatives. It's it's an extremely thankless job. In six months, you got people, doesn't matter how conservative you are, you got people calling you a rhino. And, and the reality is, if you look at Mike Johnson's majority, I mean, Roan, what is it, like a one-seat majority? Yeah. So you you can't really govern the way that, the way that we would want to govern, you know, and, and, and so it's tough. It's a thankless job, but you know, I think he's doing okay with it. No, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. And, you know, we're, like you said, we're just going to have to play it by ear. We, we have Congressman Andy Biggs on the show today, painting a little bit of a clearer picture, but mm-hmm. I, I think when, you know, nobody's wanting to play their hand, it's going to be interesting to see how this all hashes out. Sometimes I think we need a good old fashioned government shutdown to get things done, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to, you know, holding Joe Biden accountable for his lack of border security. So I hope the Republicans have enough of the fortitude moving forward to show the American people, listen, this could be a Biden Schumer shut down more than it can be anything else. And, and they've got the receipts for it. They just have to be able to stand up and be able to get that message across. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And like somehow, some way, We've come to a place in our society where we look at a government shutdown as something that is negative. And when you have a government that is $34 trillion in debt, that you know seems to be saber-rattling, both some Republicans and most Democrats are now pro-Ukraine and Ukraine joining NATO, which would certainly be an unbelievable escal- escalation, putting us on the path for World War III, which is a term that's way overused, but not untrue makes the likelihood of Americans being on the battlefield there go go through the roof. It's just like, why, why is it controversial to want to shut down the government as a negotiating point? The government is, is the source of almost all of our problems today. So, like, I don't know why we look at it as, as a bad thing. Now, the Democrats will say, oh, well, you're not, you don't want to fund our troops or things like that. Well, well you know, it, it's not. It's not about that, of course. It's a disingenuous, bad faith argument. Yep. Uh, it's about everything else. And so I, I agree with you. I think Republicans need to play hardball or at least be willing to put a government shutdown on the table to make sure that they get what they want. Oh, it's the truth. And, uh, you know, talking about some of the plausible solutions moving forward, I think one of them is Donald Trump's candidacy. He's on the heels of a big win in South Carolina this weekend, Saturday. He absolutely destroyed Nikki Haley in the Palmetto State. And then today he's looking for the first, I guess where we have a two-step CR up on Capitol Hill, we have a two-step caucus and primary process out in Michigan. There are some uh, delegates up for grabs today in the Wolverine State, and then there will be another 39 a little bit later on March 2nd. I guess some of the dysfunction with the Michigan GOP up there, uh, you know, in combined with just how wild this election cycle is going to be overall, is is showing how, you know, Donald Trump's going to be able to get all the delegates up there. But uh, when you talk about the strength and, and, and risingness of, of Donald Trump's campaign right now and, and how seamlessly they've been able to, you know, in between the lawfare and, and the attacks coming from the radical left in addition to the lack of real competition in the race. Donald Trump looks to, and appears to be stronger than ever as he looks to become the Republican nomination a little bit later this year. No, no doubt about it. And I'm sure you've seen the Emerson poll that came out today that has Trump winning in all seven swing states by a larger margin than he was winning just a couple of months ago. I mean, this is I, just to put it in perspective for listeners and viewers, that's unprecedented. In 2016 and in 2020, Trump was never ahead in those polls. And by the way, Back then, if you remember, it was like, well, you know, we don't trust those polls. They're weighted very heavily Democrat. The metrics that they use to measure are still exactly the same, Roan. So if if he's ahead in those 
polls with metrics that favor the Democrats, he's a lot further ahead in those states than than these polls are letting on. That's what I think. Um, and Trump is by far in a much stronger position than he was in 2016 and 2020, in part because of everything that you just mentioned, the lawfare and all of that. But I think people are looking at the two presidencies and putting everything aside about about Trump, right? About, you know, the the baggage. You, I don't mean that, I, I don't believe it's baggage, but there might be independents who like watch CNN and might believe that the, there was chaos around Trump in the White House. Again, to be clear, I don't buy that. That's the narrative that's pushed though. Yep. I think those people are saying, you know what? I don't care about chaos. My life was better when Trump was president. Like they just, they're just comparing Biden versus Trump. And I really do believe that that's the reason that people are going to carry with them into the ballot box. And, and that if they, when they pull the lever for Trump, that's going to be why life was better under Trump. And, and also his campaign, this cycle and in, in the 24th cycle is extraordinary. And I know many of the people I worked with them. Some of those, some of those folks were on my staff as when I was running for the house or helped me during my house run. And some of the folks that I, I know go back, I know I've known them personally, even long before then. These people are very, very, very good campaign staff. They're quiet professionals. They don't really care about being in front of the camera, which is great, I think, you know? And they're running just an extremely disciplined campaign that understands the game in every caucus state. And I think that's part of the reason why he's annihilating the competition. It's interesting to see how how strong President Trump looks right now, not only, uh, you know, on paper or as these polls continue to go, but him personally and physically. I just think of just the other day on the day of the South Carolina primary, it was like rally in the morning. He also spoke spoke before a large delegation of uh, African-American Republicans in the state of South Carolina, made it down to CPAC and then was back in the Palmetto State for the victory speech all in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. and, and when you look at that combined with what his normal schedule looks like, which could be traveling from Florida to New York City, whatever state he's campaigning in, and back again uh, over the course of several days in a row, it's just amazing to see how he works and operates. He, you know, His staff is also much younger than him as well, and to see how tired and, and run down, not in a bad way they get, just like <laughs> the, the literal physics of it. And then Donald Trump is still out there like, all right, let's go next event. He's, and, he's crazy. It, he really is. It's, it's not, he really is a force of nature. Yeah. He's the only person that I, I have ever met that looks younger after, after having come out of the Oval Office. I mean, it's kind of, it's really unbelievable. And, and this narrative that the media pushes, well, Biden and Trump are both old. Like, of course, because the media, it's impossible to not recognize how feeble and pathetic Biden is. Even 75% of his own party think he's too old to run. Yep. So they they see it, and that's how they paper over it. Well, they're both old. I, I was on stage with, with Trump once. At, I spoke at, I think, four or five rallies with him now, where people will throw the guy a pen to sign a hat, and he'll snatch it out of the air Guys like 70 something years old, sign, sign the hat, toss the hat back, toss the pen back like nothing wrong. You see him throwing footballs yep. when he's out in Iowa at the car. The guy, yeah, he's a force of nature. And, and it's a once in a lifetime thing. I think we're getting a generational icon we get with Donald Trump. 
Sean, last thing I want to touch on real quick, just briefly, I mean, let's just preview what, what the expectations are. Joe Biden's done a lot of pandering lately because of probably all of his failed policies, both foreign and domestic. But, uh, you know, a lot of the things having to do with this year's upcoming election, he, he did the student loan debt last week. It looks like he's going to actually make a trip down close to the U.S. southern border on Thursday of this week to Brownsville, Texas. Donald Trump will be in the state and down on the border in a different location as well to see these guys kind of crisscrossing on the campaign trail for the first time and in, in something that's going to be uh, spun in, in two different directions when it comes to the election. Joe Biden obviously is going to be telling everybody that his border policies worked and Donald Trump's were incorrect when Donald Trump is going to go down there and just essentially get to say, I told you so. Uh, how, how do you see this kind of, you know, materializing in real time? Well, I mean, obviously, I think Donald Trump said he was going down there first. Yep. So the optics of this for Biden, I don't think, are great. I mean, it, you can't dispute the fact that he's sort of chasing Trump down there. And the American people, you know, there was a time, I would say, in the 2022 cycle where you had border states, even folks in Arizona that were running kind of campy, almost funny immigration ads like, look at how terrible this is. Oh, so-and-so's pro-amnesty. Can't run ads like that anymore, nope. Roan, because this is an extremely serious problem. Americans are dying, yeah. not just not just because of illegal alien crime. And by the way, we need to make sure, and I find I, I make mistakes like this sometimes as well, but to use the term migrant, we can't do that. That's the left's word. These are illegal aliens. That's that's how the term is codified in law. They are breaking the law coming into this country. In some cases, Killing Americans, and of course, the tragedy of, of Lake and Riley, it's just absolutely horrible over horrible. the weekend. But not only that, just the, the fentanyl that's pouring into the country, it's like it's the number one cause of death for people in this country, 18 to 45. You never hear Biden talk about it. And, and of course, the human trafficking and the big headline that came out today is 85,000 kids are missing on the southern border. We've been talking about this on on, on my show for two months now. But these kids are sold into sex slavery or sold into black market labor. Yep. 85,000 kids. You don't see AOC dressed in white crying over a parking lot or the media regurgitating the nonsense of kids in cages or anything like that. Just shows how disingenuous they are. And the last thing I'll say is the Democrats, the way that you can tell that they're lying, just look at this last weekend where you have Biden and KJP and the DEI vice president and Kamala Harris, they all had said for years that the border was secure. Well, this weekend, AOC went on the weekend shows and said, oh, the border is essentially just a big conspiracy theory that Republicans are using to win. And then Biden blamed it on Trump. Oh, well, Trump's sabotaging border security. Here's the thing, Roan. Those lies can't exist in the same world, right? Like they're all, di they're all diametrically opposed to one another. That's why that's how you can tell they're being disingenuous as it pertains to the border. They're all lying hacks, and it's time the American people saw through this and see see this stuff for what it is. They are going to see it. I think they're seeing it more on a daily basis now, and they'll get a live look of uh, you know both sides of the coin on Thursday when both candidates are down in the Lone Star State. Sean, we're going to be leaving it at that. Obviously, we're going to be live linking your show, both the Rumble channel and the new feed on iHeartRadio and our show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you, check you out anywhere else, especially on social media. Where can they find you? Oh, th thanks for thanks for giving me that opportunity, Roan. Yeah, well, I'm on um, Rumble under Battleground with Sean Parnell. Follow us there. Get in the live chat. 
want you in the trenches with us helping to save this country and I'm on Twitter at Sean Twitter X Sean Parnell USA Instagram Facebook and all that stuff as well absolutely fantastic we'll be looking to sit down with you again always great when he stops by the show this is the host of Battleground Live one of our great friends Mr. Sean Parnell thanks for joining us on the show today and have a great rest of the week yeah thanks Ron take care man for years you've watched as the entire Washington cesspool has been feeding on the wealth and hopes and dreams of hardworking Americans, really hardworking Americans. They've feasted on the profits of job-killing trade deals. They've gorged themselves on the spoils of endless wars. And now what they crave, they want it so badly, is permanent political power and dominance for whatever reason. They're sickos, that's why. In 2016, we gave these corrupt insiders their chance to change and with Biden, they answered with hoaxes and witch hunts, censorship, lockdowns, and with total repression. Eight years later, the swamp has rejected your righteous pleas to reform, and we have to do this, and we're going to reform, and we're going to have freedom again. We're going to have freedom again. We do not have freedom. All right, jumping back into the news portion of the show, and it was always great catching up with Sean Parnell. That was some pretty big news he broke on the show today. Noah, that he's been added to the RSS feed on iHeartRadio, which was once held by Rush Limbaugh. A big, surprising move that's going to allow a true America First Warrior's voice into the media narrative that we so often don't really get to partake in. What do you think about that? That's huge. I mean, that's like giant. Yeah, we love Sean and uh, all the work he's doing. And, you know, me and him were texting yesterday because uh, – once that RSS feed started picking up his podcast, it was present back in my suggestions or ones that I follow again. So I texted him and we were just BSing back and forth. And then I was like, hey, you want to come on the show tomorrow and talk about it? He's like, Rowan, I'd love to. And there he was. So great catching up with him. Always good narrative that he, you know, has as someone that worked along Donald Trump for a long time in his congressional race and race for the Senate. And I do really hope that in a second Trump administration, someone with the you know, military background and experience, plus the the way that he sees the world working right now. Someone like Sean Parnell be included in a in a Trump administration. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that'd be great. I I can't imagine having people with military expertise are probably the best person you can ever have in government. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. And it's going to be awesome to see how this all shapes up. So Donald Trump's messaging at CPAC paralleled a lot of the stuff that he normally says at, at campaign speeches. There were the, uh, you know, policy-driven points of secure border, robust economy, drill baby drill, geopolitical, peace through strength, and things of that nature. But I think the overall narrative at CPAC this year was one that was really geared towards the rise of populism in the United States again. When you talk about some of the speakers that were there internationally, Bukele, was a speaker, Malay was a speaker, Nigel Farage was a speaker. And the messaging that they brought, Donald Trump can help end wars and essentially make the planet great again, and we cannot wait to work with him in more context than just being leaders of nations. And If we hadn't lost Trump, there would not be these wars. True story. Very few people will argue against that being the case. The fact that the Biden administration, through their chaotic governance and <laughs> peace through ice cream. Oh, yeah. Peace through ice cream. It's I don't know how you could possibly just think that everything's fine. And, and this hasn't just been just almost an implosion that that, that that's been on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. And Donald Trump talked about how on November 5th we will have 
a new holiday instated in the United States, Liberation Day. And it will be Judgment Day for Joe Biden. Let's hear it. At the ballot box this November, it's you and the people you have to be and will deliver a reckoning like they haven't even imagined before. We're going to straighten out our country. We're going to bring our country back. Mm. For hardworking Americans, November 5th will be our new Liberation Day. But for the liars and cheaters and fraudsters and censors and imposters who have commandeered our government, it will be their judgment day. Their judgment day. When we win, the curtain closes on their corrupt reign and the sun rises on a bright new future for America. That's what we have to have. I believe it's our last chance. You know, I used to say how important in 2016 that you got to do it. It's the most important election. I meant it, but that was nothing compared to where we are now. What, you know, we had a big border problem and I solved it. So much so that in 2020, I couldn't even mention it. I'd say, let's talk about the border. Sir, you've solved that problem. You don't have a border. I don't care. I want to talk about the border. I talk about the border. Everybody would sit there. They wouldn't even say anything because we had no problem. I solved it. But who would have thought that now we have a border problem that's 20 times worse than what we had in 2016? 20 times. And we'll solve that one, too. But it's going to have to be very strong action. and It's going to have to happen fast before our country is just totally overwhelmed. And that's the truth, you know. When you talk about what the other side of the vote on November 5th, in a scenario where Donald Trump doesn't win, and let's just talk about doubling everything we've seen over the course of the last three-plus years of the Biden administration. We've got two major foreign wars going on right now with terrorist activity at levels higher than it ever was, uh, probably post 9-11, when you talk about you know what's going on in Yemen with the Houthis and then all of the Hamas and Hezbollah going on in the Middle East. So you have all that going on. Then you have Israel and the Hamas entity in Gaza fighting. That, that's a major conflict. You've got what's going on in Ukraine where essentially long-range United States weaponry is taking pot shots at Russian soldiers and, and military points uh, in a war that's not really a war anymore. It's just a war on television. And then when you talk about doubling all of these things, add North Korea or Iran to the mix. Add China invading Taiwan physically to the mix. That gets kinetic. Take the inflation rate right now, which I believe nationally is around 7.4%. Its highest was 19 during the Biden administration. It's a lot higher in some of the other blue states, trust me. And double that, back up to 14%. Collapse the supply chain again. They've let in over 10 million people over the course of the last three and a half years into the United States. Just imagine allowing 10 million more in. Imagine inserting radical DAs and judges, double the number we have now in cities and behind benches all over the United States. And just imagine what would be left of the United States or what we would look like if Donald Trump does not secure the victory in November. No, I mean, it's a very bleak, dystopian picture. It is end of republic rhetoric, but it's the truth. And we're just talking about not even tripling or quadruple, just double the numbers of exactly what the Biden administration was able to accomplish. Over the course of the last three and a half years, what would this country look like or not, to say the least? Well, if if this administration on their way out completely yanks the floodgates open and tries to push through just as many people as possible because they know it's 
it's going to expire at some point where this is going to be an acceptable thing. The NGOs are already running out of money Yep, because there's too much people coming in. There's too much. The, the NGO in San Diego County or out in El Cajon or wherever it was, I was looking at uh, the mayor of uh, El Cajon's uh, Instagram. Saw it on the national news this week. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's giant. Like they... Like you can't you can't ignore this anymore. It's not just like this fringy like oh these people just don't like Biden so they're complaining. It's like no, it's everybody. It's everybody that knows what's going on. Like even the people that work for the NGOs. Like I saw something, and it was literally a tagline at the bottom of the screen on on the little ticker thing, and it was like requesting Biden to temporarily close the border. Yep. Well, temporarily. How about we just close it? get it sealed up tight as a drum and then facilitate as needed. Once it's closed and we know it's closed and we know it can be closed, then you can work on bringing people in. It's the truth. I, I did see that more specifically that NGO that operates a uh, migrant. I believe some of our Congress people have called it soft side detention centers in the United States. There was one that had a budget of like around two ish to $3 million. And after- I thought you were going to say concierge. Pretty close, essentially a five-star hotel. Well, they exceeded their budget by over $3 million and were forced to close down. In addition, I've seen both the mayors of Chicago and New York ask their city councils this week to start maybe coming to the term of working with ICE in the cases where illegal aliens who are dropped in their cities, when they commit crimes, do you think we could start turning them over to ICE because it's becoming an issue at the national level? Getting a lot When of they commit per- crimes? Correct. When? Yeah. Besides the one they already committed? Right. No, I get it. And and But but you are seeing just the narrative shift. It's like you, you even have people for, that always carry the water for the radical progressive left saying, like, I think I'm getting ready to say uncle because yeah. this is just getting out of control. I want to see the books for these NGOs. Yeah. I don't know how public that is, but I want to know how much that their CEOs or whatever and NCOs or whatever it's called. I want to know how much these fuckers are getting paid. No, it's because I guarantee it's six figures. We need congressional figures oversight. on the high end. Yeah, we need to figure out how much of the government is paying for this as well. You know, it's one of the things that I've seen. Well, the government's paying for all of it. The NGO money comes from the government. Right. At the behest of the taxpayer. But I know Andy Biggs and Wisconsin Representative Tom Tippany, who's going to be joining us on the show next week. Andy Biggs will be on first interview of our second edition of Steak for Breakfast today, our next episode. And we're going to be asking him specifically about this. But staying in the thread here and seeing some of these radical progressives who championed on open borders and the fall of the of the United States now that are getting sick and tired of it, there's one who's never going to change that narrative, no matter how bad it gets in his state, and that's California Governor Gavin Newsom. Not only is he hyping up Nikki Haley's candidacy and how important it is for her to continue to run against Donald Trump for all the wrong reasons, he's also been out there taking shots at Donald Trump over the course of the last several weeks, doing interviews with Sean Hannity and on Meet the Press. Well, after his latest uh, speaking event on Jake Tapper over the weekend, Donald Trump had had enough and decided to make it extremely personal and pointed at so much to say, hey, Gavin, you want to keep talking shit? Come, come on, get in the race, get in here, come on, let's hear it. Look, a lot of people think Gavin Newsom is going to run in a certain way. I hope so. I hope so. Because he's destroyed California. He's destroyed it. But he's got a hell of a line of crap. I watched him on Sean Hannity, 
was a good man, Sean. Sean, we love you very much, Sean, if you happen to be watching, which you will. But he was on Sean Hannity, and he was saying, no, no, California's never done better, ba, 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 we got to do this, we're doing that, we're doing that. I'm saying, wait a minute, the place is failing. They don't have water. They're notifying people in Beverly Hills, you can only use 40 gallons of water. They don't have water. By the way, they could have so much water. I had it all set. All of the federal government approvals were done. All he had to do was sign a little piece of paper. And I won't let him get away with that again, because he had to sign one piece of paper, and water would be pouring down from up north, pouring down from Canada. And, the, you know, it comes down the artificial veins and the, the, the natural veins where the water poured down. And they take this water and they send it out to the Pacific, way above California. They send the water out to the Pacific to protect a little tiny fish that's not doing too well anyway. And people don't have water, and the farmland is barren. You go down, it's best land there is in the whole country. They can't farm it because they have no water. And it's true. In Beverly Hills, you pay a fortune in taxes. They say you can only brush your teeth once a day. <laughs> Who the hell wants to mean you can't use too much water on your hair? That would, that would put me out. I would, I would not want to be. They put restrictors on showers. They put restrictors on faucets. You buy brand new faucets. Aren't they beautiful, darling? Oh, yes. Look at them. Beautiful brass faucets. They're so beautiful. Let's try them. Oh, shit. No water's coming out. <laughs> Drop. It drops out. You turn on the shower. I'm going to take a shower tonight. My hair's going to look better than it ever looked. I get that whole deal ready, I'm all set to go. Turn on the shower, ding, ding. <laughs> no, and they have so much water. I said to some of our great congressmen that asked me to help them with a the problem up in that area, up north in California, I said, I see you have a drought. They said, no, we don't have a drought. We have so much water, you don't know what to do. But they send it out to the Pacific. Yep. We're not going to let them get away with that any longer. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> And frankly, I believe, you know, I gave, a, I gave a speech up there. We had like 100,000 people show up. I said, what the hell is going on over here? I always hear Republicans can't win. California, you can't win. I will tell you, if God came down and God was the vote checker, <laughs> a poll watcher, I believe we would win California. I think it's so crazy. They send out 36 million ballots get sent out to people unknown. They're sent out all over the place. How many people from California know people that got six, seven, eight ballots, okay? Our elections are so corrupt. I think we'd do very well. I think I would do very well in California, actually. No, what do you think about him hitting Gavin Newsom on some policy-driven points? You know, he, he actually did lead in with saying he thought that all the stuff that he kind of rattled off on Sean Hannity's interview was bullshit, but, I mean... I think lightweight material, when you would talk about a general election head-to-head -head matchup, it would essentially be like lies versus the truth, and, and you could, could pull the, the curtain back on California and show the rest of the country just how bad it really is. Gavin Newsom is such a greasy weasel. I don't know how anybody anybody doesn't just see that and just hate him. Like, I hate him. I hate hearing his voice. It's so gross. He is the American psycho. And, you know, he was over at the White House this weekend, uh, pandering around with a lot of Joe Biden's staff. And it, it was just really interesting to see. I, I mean, again, I, I really don't think the way that the vote set up, a high, a can, you know, hijacking the Democrat nominee at the convention, I just don't see it outside of a conviction, which Joe Biden's apparently not fit to stand trial, 
or a, a health-related reason, there's not going to be any change. And if there is, it has to be Kamal Harris at this point. Whether Gavin Newsom would come on and be thrown on a ticket with her so he could run independently as a, as a Democrat uh, candidate in 2028, that's yet to be seen. But I, I don't see an in for him right now. So what he's going to do is, and I told everybody this a long time ago, no, you agreed with me. You've actually said the same thing. As long as Nikki Haley stays in this race, Joe Biden doesn't have to campaign, and they could send all the surrogates out on his behalf just to promote messaging because Joe Biden doesn't have to campaign because he's running unchallenged, essentially, in the Democrat primary. And, and, you know, all they have to do is continue to lie to the American public on just how great the world is because Joe Biden's the president. I don't think any of the American public is believing that anymore, though. It's getting pretty bad. Except for those car maskers. Mm, I hate those people. Yeah. Guys, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio is where you'll find us. Make sure you're following the show. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Make sure you're sharing Steak for Records content. Share the show with your friends. Share the show post with your friends. Get them linked up. Allow them to have the way their news is consumed changed by us as well. In addition, on social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram is where we have accounts. Find them, follow them, hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything we've got going on. Down here on the show, like our weekly newsletter, which comes out every Sunday morning. It includes our top headlines, a recap of the week before, and a preview of the week incoming. So, Noah, Donald Trump and the new Argentine president, Javier Malay, met at CPAC in the green Love that guy. It was like, okay, so first of all, there was hugs. There was exchanges of pleasantries, and then even during a hug, Someone made the meme of the green line test and it checked <laughs> both completely straight top to bottom, even hugging each other like they did not break posture. I loved it. And Donald Trump really appreciated meeting up and catching up with him. He actually spoke on it during his uh, address time at CPAC. Let's hear it. Listen to him. We have uh, tremendous group of dignitaries, leaders, world leaders, and local uh, leaders. But we have, from all over the world, people with us right now at this moment in the room. And I'll just mention a few. President of Argentina, who's gotten a lot of publicity. He's gotten a lot. He's a great gentleman. You know, he's MAGA. He's MAGA. Make Argentina great again. I like that. (laughs) No, and he said, I am MAGA. And then I realized he's one of the few can really do it well. Make Argentina great again. Javier Millet. Thank you very much, Javier. Thank you. Thank you I very you were much. Javi. It's a great. You know, much like we saw with uh, his relationship with Von Solaro down in Brazil and, and other world leaders who, uh, you know, Shinzo Abe, who was murdered last year, who used to be the uh, prime minister of Japan. You know, when he really clicks with these people, and you see these trade deals, when you see max pressure on places like China, you know, Brazil is all falling into communism and joining BRICS and, and, you know, just licking China's balls right now. But during the Trump administration, they had such a strong pushback on the amount of manufacturing and things that come out of that country uh, at the agricultural level as well. You know, pushing back on China and all the bullshit that they had going on, and in addition to the Trump trade and tariffs that were just crippling China during during Donald Trump's first term in office. It was great to see these relationships flourish. And it looks like, you know, between Bukele and Malay, 
obviously a great friend and, you know, someone who represents the UK well, Nigel Farage, in addition to all the longstanding relationships he's had with some of these people out in the Middle East, like MBS and, and people of that nature, the alliances are still there. I mean, obviously Donald Trump is beloved in Israel. And we're going to get back to seeing what that looks like, hopefully, in a little bit more than 10 months from now, because, frankly, Joe Biden has destroyed all of our international relationships. The only yeah. people's asses he kisses now is, you know, China, who continues to send us their crime and their fighting age males and their fentanyl. And, you know, places like Mexico, who just kind of laughs in his face whenever Joe Biden tries to tell him something and continues to inundate our borders with the diseases and criminality of the third world and all of the shitty people that, uh, you know, Donald Trump didn't have any time for. Like Venezuela is one of our strongest trading partners right now. And this comes in the same week where they said, yeah, we're not doing those repatriation flights into our country anymore. We've sent you all of our criminals. We would deeply appreciate it if you did not send them all back. Yeah, no, thanks. We'll, we'll go ahead and that trade deal's over. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the thing. Donald Trump had no problem instituting MPP. And then if they weren't going to get sent back to their own countries, just dumping them in Mexico and saying, listen, you figure it out. You touched not, it last. Yeah. We're not going to be doing that anymore. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things that Donald Trump's been up against and, and we talk about it so much, we're going to talk about it with Jeff Clark in our next edition of the podcast today is the amount of lawfare that he's come up against. Jeff Clark has definitely felt it himself. And, you know, Donald Trump is really running the risk right now of, of, being put in jail forever. And I don't think a lot of people understand the the 91 indictments and the bookings in four different states could essentially lead to a thousand years in jail and just the erasure of the Trump name from the face of the earth. He completely understands this every day when he wakes up in the morning. Touch on it briefly here. Let's hear it. Prosecutors, attorney generals, local district attorneys are trying to take away my liberty. They're trying to take it away. They're trying to steal my liberty. If there's any shred of justice left, they will fail and we will win. And so far, we're doing very nicely. Thank you. But I would rather lose my freedom than surrender to this group of thugs and tyrants, and fascists, scoundrels and rogues. The more the corrupt establishment tries to stop us, the more you know the day is near at hand when we will break free from their grip. We're going to break free very soon. We're going to break free from their grip very soon. Did you notice how the wording and message delivery of this speaking event, Noah, kind of bled into the thread of more populism and not just wasn't campaign driven for, you know, his uh, keynote address at CPAC? Yeah, I like, I mean, it's good to flip back from, you know, hammering on one thing to, you know, just broaching the subject with the, the general people. And, and it's, it's the thing too, you know, um, it's not like he was pandering to potential voters at CPAC. This is the MAGAist of MAGA. Mm -hmm. and, and when you talk about, you know, not only the international guests, but all the people, I thought some of the strongest speaking events were like Elise Stefanik, Matt Gates, Christy Nome. They were absolutely phenomenal. And then when you talk about the panels that were there, I saw Cash Patel, Rick Grinnell, Jeff Clark, and, and Matt Whitaker, all regular guests of Steak for Breakfast, longtime friends of the show who were just out promoting awareness uh, how to get you know activated and involved in your community when it comes to securing elections and being involved at the local levels, all the way up to that national messaging, which you know turning America back into that shining beacon and the greatest country in the history of the galaxy again, 
literally can be on the other side of the ballot box. We just have to get all of these people involved. And I think the messaging of that was good. I've got one more before we jump in with uh, good old Clout Diablo himself, Vish Burra, who's joining us again today with a full CPAC recap. And it was Donald Trump just spinning fire from the mic. Let's hear it. Your victory will be our ultimate vindication. Your liberty will be our ultimate reward. And the unprecedented success of the United States of America will be my ultimate and absolute revenge. That's what I want. Success will be our revenge. So double middle fingers to all the globalists coming in the form of Donald Trump's revenge to all of them will essentially be to just make America great again. It's just messaging that hit hard on day one when he came down the golden escalator and still resonates true today, nearly a decade later. We're going to continue to cover everything with President Trump, as is always done here on Steak for Breakfast. We're getting ready to jump in with Bishburra right now and wrap up our first edition of the show. We'll be coming right back with another edition of the show, so buckle up. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today is Big Tuesday edition of the Stake for Breakfast podcast. He's the executive secretary at the New York Young Republican Club, former staffer for Congressman Santos and Gates. He's probably uh, the field general for all things MAGA. It's Clout Diablo. Fishburr is here. Welcome back to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while, but now I'm uh, free as a bird, and I can uh, join uh, the Steak for Breakfast podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. How you guys doing? We're doing fantastic, and we're hosting one of our favorite guests right now. So, Vish, I wanted to uh, kind of get a recap for our listenership. We didn't do too much CPAC coverage because of, uh, you know, probably highlights from the, the Donald Trump speaking event is what we covered today. But, I, I mean, you guys were on the ground uh, having an absolutely fantastic time pushing the MAGA agenda, pushing Donald Trump's push for the nomination right now. And, and it seemed like it was a, a pretty well-received event, lots of people there. And a lot of commingling amongst the MAGA elites. Why don't you tell our listenership a little bit about how your experience was out there? Well, this CPAC was, uh, you know, thematically pretty on point, you know, where globalism comes to die. And, uh, you know, ironically, we had some great international speakers to really spice up uh, your typical lineup that uh, you usually see at CPAC. Naib Bukele came in, gave a great speech on how to clean up your country, clean up your streets, and really, you know, also talked about, you know, the monetary crisis that we're in right now, too. And then we also had Javier Malay from our Argentina come in. Uh, he was pretty electric, too. So that was uh, pretty exciting, something new, something different. And I like where CPAC is heading 
as it, you know, strives to be more international on helping uh, import and export, uh, you know, the ideas of, of MAGA and, and sort of right-wing populism and national populism that we're, uh, that we're pushing. Uh, yeah, another extremely well-received uh, speech at CPAC was the Matt Gates speech, uh, where he declared that we should defund the UN. Uh, you know, that, that was also one of the, uh, better received, uh, electric speeches during CPAC, as well as Elise Stefanik, uh, gave a, a fantastic speech as well. Uh, she had a massive welcome party, uh, when she arrived at CPAC, uh, and really a, a, a massive crowd that followed her around, uh, during CPAC. And she came in, you know, in the top, in the top five results. Uh, for vice president. And so we're really excited about that. A fellow club member of the New York Young Republicans Club and a huge supporter. Uh, we really like uh, seeing, you know, one of our members, you know, being talked about as a potential vice president pick. And, and we're definitely supportive of, of that happening. Uh, on, and then uh, really, you know, I've, I've, this is my seventh or eighth CPAC at this point. And, uh, you know, there's always been the, the crying about, oh, you know, CPAC is dying. CPAC is getting smaller. CPAC is not really relevant anymore. And none of those things are really true uh, without the proper context. I think, you know, based on what I've seen through so many CPACs, is that uh, CPAC is really uh, whittling down on, you know, some of your nerdier, uh, more policy types driving the conference and really uh, more focused towards, you know, the energetic activist MAGA base and really training them and getting them on point with policy, with messaging, with activism, with tactics, with media, with social media, uh, and, and getting, the, getting all those folks who are most likely to uh, get active and involved in the real world, those are the people now that are flocking to CPAC uh, to, to network and to learn about how they can how they can help serve the MAGA brand. And by Friday and Saturday, I mean you had packed houses. When Donald Trump came, gave an hour and a half speech, uh, and it was a full house. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're talking about possibly, you know, at, at the end of it all, about 6,000 attendees, I think. Somewhere between, you know, six to 8,000 attendees, I'd estimate. So uh, I think it was an electric CPAC. And then to top it all off, I mean, it was really, really, you know, you could have almost mistaken it for a War Room pack or a Bannon pack. I mean, War Room had, I, I've been, again, my seven or eight CPACs. I've never seen what really is technically a media row booth uh, as swarmed and mobbed and as electric and as energetic as uh, the War Room live taping that were happening uh, during CPAC. I mean, it had a massive set and they had the crowd to match that was electric and energetic. Uh, there was the Force Multiplier Academy event that took place as a pregame to CPAC that was hosted by the War Room, that was a fantastic event. And we can't wait to, uh, to expand on that series 
as well. And, uh, and as well as that, there was also the highlight or the, the capstone event of CPAC, which is at the very end, which was the War Room Party. And that was a banger we threw uh, till midnight with over 400, MP- 400 people in attendance, lots of young folks, lots of pretty folks, lots of powerful folks, uh, all mingling together, uh, feasting before uh, the fight that we have uh, ahead. And, and uh, you know, really had a good time. That was well uh, received, well covered. I mean, people were talking about, hey, I'd come to CPAC. I'd come back to CPAC uh, next year just for this party, right? And so that's the kind of reception uh, that that War Room and Bannon and crew had during CPAC. I mean, you really saw you really saw you know MAGA kind of drive the energy, uh, you know, in uh, at CPAC this year in terms of uh, uh, Bannon's popularity, Matt Gates's popularity. Uh, Elise Stefanik's popularity, uh, the international folks, Naib Bukele, uh, Javier Malay. I think actually Match Lab, uh did a pretty good job this year of putting together programming that would drive out more energetic and focused and committed people to come to CPAC. You know, I'm going to stick in both of these points, both of the one which you began on, uh, which the actual event itself, and, and then the impact that I think Steve Bannon did have a really good week last week, and, and we got to give credit where credit is due. But circling back to your first point, Vitch, you're talking about Bukele, you're talking about Malay, uh, Nigel Farage was there, uh, Donald Trump was obviously the keynote speaker, and then, you know, future and, and, and past administration officials who did speaking events throughout the weekend, Rick Grinnell, Cash Patel, Matt Whitaker, uh, people up on Capitol Hill who are definitely intertwined to the MAGA movement, Gates and Stefanik, Vivek Ramaswamy gave a pretty good speech as well, Christy Noem, I thought, was fire when she got up there. I think the entire narrative encompassed the, and you're talking about the generational change here at CPAC. It's definitely not your grandpa CPAC anymore. And I think for a lot of the detractors, it's the same people we see in the media and even with intertwined in our U.S. government that don't want to see a push towards nationalist populism. And, and but, but when you look at the success of the messaging that was delivered throughout the course of the weekend, it seems like those guests that were driving those facts home were the ones that were best received by the America First movement. Absolutely. I mean, this is the, well, the the America First movement is ready. It's ready for every day. It's ready for the next day. You know, uh, Steve was talking about it earlier today uh, on his show, where uh, you know, and and I've been talking about it too. Um, maybe about a month ago, Jonathan Chase uh, released an article uh, in the Intelligencer talking about how exhausted the left is trying to fight fight the right fighting MAGA, yep. fighting Trump, and and that they're so exhausted and that this exhaustion is leading to the Biden coalition not being able to stick together and taking the fight for granted. Whereas on the other side, you know, MAGA can't wait for tomorrow. Bannon's up there saying, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming to fight. We're going to adjudicate the, ele- the, the 20 point, re-adjudicate the 2020 election. We're going to we're going to throw out the vermin, the trash that's in the White House that are the Bidens, right? And that this was uh, this was received to huge 
uh, crowd cheers and uh, huge crowd receptions, uh, you know, throughout CPAC. And, and that was the messaging all throughout CPAC that we're coming to fight, we're coming to win. We can't wait for tomorrow. We can't wait for November 5th, right? And so this was the, the success of this messaging is really freaking out a left that just doesn't have the energy anymore to stand up for what they believe in because really what they believe in is so weak and it's so out of touch and there's just nobody who's willing to stand up for it outside of the professional leftist class and the professional and and sort of uh, status quo that depends on liberalism and this sort of leftist progressive paradigm uh, in order for them to uh, live and eat. And that's, uh, you know, that's a promising sign for our movement that, you know, we're just getting started and we're raring for a fight all over the nation. That was, that's, that's what the takeaway I think was. And people, people on our side should be really excited and really should be getting ready to, to, you know, put their shoulder to the wheel. Because remember last year I talked about how all year last year was about marshalling resources and then 2024 is going to be all about fighting. You just deploy, you attack, you go, you go win. And we're all focused and ready for that. You know, and when you talk about yeah. the, the big week that Steve Bannon had out there, the the way that he was received, the, how he kind of planned his messaging around the extraordinary group of speakers and, and panelists that would be highlighted throughout the course of the event, how important is it now for us all to essentially coalesce behind this nationalist populist movement, the MAGA movement, as we're heading, you know, we're almost through this primary season. The best I can tell is by March 12th, Donald Trump will have crossed the delegate threshold to become the Republican nominee. Ronna McDaniel stepped down from her position as the chair of the RNC yesterday. We're going to get a much more MAGA-driven group in there moving forward. It seems like the wind is at our back. The Biden administration is on their heels, and the only thing that could stop us now are things that are proprieted from the inside how important is it to stay focused on this on the prize uh, you know even when it there's so many different shiny things out there people want to push different ideas or kind of you know have a defeatist nature when it comes to elections and stuff like that but if everybody just puts the pedal to the floor and doesn't take their foot off the gas for the next 10 months we are going to be starting the probably one of the greatest generations this country has ever known yeah absolutely like you know, like, uh, you know, I think somebody said this during CPAC, might have been Steve, that this isn't just an election, it's a revolution, right? And so uh, it's another revolution, 2.0, uh, 1776. And so uh, I think that, that it's really important, really, really important that we also don't forget that there are many, many battles in between today and November 5th, right? Like, we have... Uh, like you said, March 12th, where, you know, Donald Trump will have perhaps crossed the delegate threshold. But March 25th, he's got to show up for court in New York, and uh, there's another fight to be had there, a massive trial that, you know, a lot of people are thinking that this is going to be the show. And we have to think about how we're going to support our nominee uh, as he's being uh, persecuted by weaponized uh you know, New York State uh, legal apparatus, a a weaponized federal national security apparatus, 
and, and even on the local level here in New York with Alvin Bragg and at Fulton County with phony Fanny Willis, uh, you know, there, there's warfare happening everywhere. We need to show up and support our nominee as he's being persecuted by his uh, political opponent. And we, sh- we need to let the, the, the folks know every day in between now and Election Day that we're not going to tolerate election interference in any form. We're ready for the lawfare that they're going to bring, whether it's against Donald Trump in, uh, in, the, wit- in the witness box or, uh, you know, at the ballot box on November 5th. We need to be ready for, the, for all the lawfare that's about to come. And we also need to be ready to be able to let our voices be heard by Biden, by his administration, his illegitimate regime, uh, that we're not going to stand up, that we're not going to stand for what they're doing. We're going to stand up for Trump and we're going to remove him from the White House and put Donald Trump, the rightful president of the United States, uh, in his rightful throne. A lot of work to do over the course of the next 10 months, Vish. We're glad that we're continuing to fight alongside you and everybody out there in America First. It was great having you on the show today. We'll be looking to have one of your great friends, Matt Gates, will be joining us again on our Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast this week. And all we could do is continue to drive the messaging and, and bring the facts home to our listenership, much as you do with a lot of the stuff that you're involved in. We want to be able to live link anything you've got for our listenership today. Where can they find you and where can they follow you? Yeah, you can find me on X. That's my largest platform, at Vishbura, V-I-S-H-B-U-R-R-A. Uh, you can find me on Truth at Vish, Getter at Vishbura. Uh, and, yeah, um, X is where you really should follow me. Uh, that's my most active platform. And, um, yeah, uh, please follow me, guys. This is We're just getting started. Uh, you know, once we have the nomination secured, we, it's going to be every day, every day, every day that we are going to be fighting to win. And that's the only objective is to win. It's Thanks cer- for having me. No, it certainly is. And we'll be looking to have you back soon. This is MAGA's most intriguing operative. It's Clout Diablo himself. Vishbur, thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great rest of the week. Take care. Guys, we're coming back with another all-new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and let us change the way you consume your news.